Well, good morning. Good to see you. <clears throat> now, I'm sorry I'm here, <laughs> because it means that John is unwell. Pastor John is unwell, so um, he asked me if I would stand in for him. He's not the sort of guy to stay away for no good reason, um, so we need to do continue to pray for John. It's been unwell for some time. I mean, I wasn't here last Sunday because I wasn't too well, and the message I heard was he perhaps shouldn't really have been here last Sunday because he wasn't too well, but he's really been under the weather. Um, so do continue to pray for him and remember him. Um, okay. I noticed in the bulletin, after the sermon this morning, the song is called Awakening. So I thought, oh... Does that mean everybody will be asleep by the end of the sermon? <laughs> well, quite possibly. It wouldn't be if John was here, but um, we shall see. <laughs> we shall see. And we're talking about Lazarus this morning. Oh, there we are. That's Jesus' command to Lazarus. Um, I, would love to have, I would have loved to have read the whole of John 11, um, but it would have been quite long. We were just singing, let your kingdom come. And when Jesus was on earth, he performed several miracles. And they are sometimes called signs of the kingdom. So there's a pointer, um, the right way to go. It's pointing something out. It's a signpost. It's saying, that away. And the miracles are like signs. They're pointers. They're saying, look that way. That's the way to go. So when Jesus turns water into wine, that is a sign of the kingdom. God makes stuff better. He takes things ordinary, makes something special of them. When Jesus calms the waves, it's as if God is saying, look, here is Jesus. He is the king of creation. He is the Lord of creation. Look at what he is doing. Look at what he is saying. Listen to him. He has authority. Believe. And when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the kingdom is saying, in the kingdom of God, there is new life. There is resurrection. Death will be abolished. There is power. God's glory will be revealed. It's a question of belief. So the miracles that Jesus performed are like pointers saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. What is God like? Well, look at these signs. He forgives. He brings to life. He changes something ordinary into something special. He heals. He restores. This is the kingdom of God. He grants life. The kingdom of God is not something which is negative or derisory or, or to be put down or to be belittled. It is something good. It is something life-giving. It is something great. It's all about God's glory. And so the miracles are here not just to bless the people like Lazarus and his family and the people who got healed and the people at the wedding who got more wine. They probably had enough already. Um, they're here to demonstrate also the kingdom of God. And this is the kingdom to which we belong when you give your life to Jesus. And as we've already heard this morning, if you have never given your life to Jesus, now is the time to do so because he grants life, eternal life. And without him, life ends in a big black hole. So Jesus demonstrates the kingdom. And we see, as I said, that he has authority over nature. He has authority over politics. 
he gives some very wise answers. When they, give him a, when, when they ask him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Should we follow the political correctness line? Well, give me a coin. Whose head is on it? Caesar. Well, give it to Caesar then. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Wow, what a reply to a, a trip question to try and trick him up. And give to God what is God's. And God deserves no more and no less than our lives. So Jesus has authority over health and over life and over death itself. He takes natural events and demonstrates the kingdom of God and the power of God transforming them. He sends out a message of restoration and of life and of hope. So in this story of Lazarus, we saw some of it, we heard some of it. Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill. He is friends. He is a close friend of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, the family. And he loves them and they love him. And he has a message. Lazarus is unwell. So what does he do? He stays where he is for a couple of days. Why did he do that? Well, we can't say fully, but he knew what was coming. And then eventually he went. And of course, where he went to had been a place where they'd just been threatening him. And the disciples thought, oh, come on, we've just been there and your life was threatened. Do you really want to go back there? Is that really the wise move, going to a hostile area? The disciples were very dubious, and Thomas says, okay, let's go so that we can die with him. Um, always a skeptic, Thomas. Uh, but Jesus had a different agenda. And so Jesus went, and they came to him, and they found that he found that Lazarus was already dead and had been in the tomb for a few days. And then he transformed that situation as we saw, but before he transformed it, we read that he was moved deeply. He was moved deeply. Here is God the Son walking this earth, shedding tears because somebody has died and those close to him are bereaved. And that's something to hold on to. That's something to hold on to. We probably will never be in a Lazarus situation Unfortunately, well, whether it's unfortunate, I don't know, but it's a fact of life. We tend not to see many miracles in this day and age and culture. We, take, we hear that they do see miracles in other parts of the world. Why doesn't God do miracles here in the same way? Occasionally he does, but not as much as we would like. Wouldn't we love to see people getting healed? Wouldn't we love to see people getting raised from the dead? Wouldn't we love to see things that are, that are locked up being freed? And that does happen to some extent, but oh, that we would see it more. But whether we see it or whether we don't, what the miracles tell us is significant. Not everybody who died in Jesus' day was brought back to life. Not everybody who was walking that country who needed healing was healed, only some. We cannot tell why God chooses one and not another, except we know it's to demonstrate his glory. And those, in those whose lives are touched, like Lazarus, we see the fullness of God's kingdom, which is to come. So, Jesus demonstrates authority over death by raising Lazarus to life. So, let's look at Lazarus for a moment. A few bullet points there. Quite simple. He was ill, he died, he was buried, but then Jesus came along. Lazarus came back to life. He experienced what you might call a physical restoration, his resurrection. His body was restored. Whatever was eating away at him, whatever disease he had, whatever it was, was turned back. And he rose to life, physically. 
Now that's important because what happened to Lazarus next year? Five years, ten years, fifty years down the line. We assume that he died again. He was given an extra few years on his life by Jesus. He was physically healed. He was given some extra time. Contrast that with Jesus. And the first thing we see is that, yes, Jesus was moved. He was weeping tears. But then we saw that Jesus had authority over physical death because he spoke to Lazarus in the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And out he came. Untie him and let him go. And then poor old Lazarus, who just experienced one of the greatest miracles ever, it wasn't long before the Jews were plotting to kill him again. As far as we know, they didn't succeed, but we, we don't know. But whatever, his life was under threat because of what Jesus had done. That's not fair. Jesus does a marvellous thing in our lives and we get clobbered for it. That was what was Lazarus's experience. Uh, people were out to get him because they couldn't tolerate what Jesus was doing. But we read here for Jesus, what was the first thing that he did when they came to him and said, Lord, if both the sisters, Mary and Martha, said the same thing separately, if you had been here our brother would not have died. Wow. No pressure then. And what did Jesus do? He wept. He was moved. And sometimes we wonder, we, we, we conjure up and ideas that, well, why did Jesus weep? He knew what he was going to do with Lazarus. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Why was he weeping? Well, plain and simple, he was with people who were weeping. He was with Mary and Martha. And while he knew already what he was going to do, he was moved because he was with people who were suffering tragedy and loss. And that's so important to remember in this life, that Jesus was moved. And then he demonstrates authority over physical death. He addressed the cause of the pain of the sisters. But then later... Jesus died. Jesus died. He was crucified. But then he came back to life. And you see, I've underlined the word spiritual there, because when Lazarus died, he was brought back to life and given a few more years physical existence on this earth. Then he died. When Jesus was raised from the dead, yes, his resurrection body was real, but it was different, and he no longer would go through death again. He could not suffer death more than once because he'd been through death and come out the other side. It's as if Lazarus walked into death and Jesus said, come back forth, and he turned round and came back to the same life. But later he went back to death. With Jesus, he walked into death. He descended into hell. And then he walked out through the other side. He didn't go back to a normal physical life, although there was a physical element. He walked through to the other side of death with his witch's resurrection for eternity, eternal life. And because he rose from the dead, you and I will rise from the dead. And we will walk through death, and we will walk out the other side, and we will live if you're in Jesus. And that's the simple message that I have for you this morning. Jesus resurrection was different from Lazarus's 
Lazarus died again. Jesus will never die again. He was raised to new life. So after Jesus' resurrection, we talk about the resurrection body. Sometimes the disciples knew it was Jesus. Others, he was, they were kept from recognizing him. Who is, is it? Is it? Can't, who is this? He walked through walls. He suddenly appeared. He suddenly disappeared. It seems there was something different about his body. Yes, it was Jesus, and they could recognize him, and he would eat. But sometimes there were strange things because he had a resurrection body which was different. That was an eternal body. So when he left this earth, he didn't leave it in a tomb. He was taken up into heaven. He could never die again. The resurrection body is similar but different. Don't want to spend too long on that, but similar but different. And this resurrection of Lazarus and then the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest sign of the kingdom. When Jesus rose from the dead, we see that death is defeated, that sin is defeated. It's not just death, it's not just delayed, it's abolished. But when Jesus was talking to them, he talks about death and it gets a bit mixed up. So what, 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 what's going on there? Well, just who is this Jesus, first of all? This guy who can say, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. And if you do die, well, you will see life again. Let's just stop and think. Those are pretty outrageous claims. The guy's either completely, as we say in the UK, off his rocker. I don't know if you say that over here. You know, a bit unhinged. Or he's a liar. Or he's somebody special. He's mad, bad, sad, or the real thing. Well, it's easy to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Not so easy to look at the tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth. We can say it, but the proof of what you say is when Lazarus walks out of the tomb. And Lazarus walked out of the tomb. So when this guy says, I am the resurrection and the life, we need to listen to him. Because if he can do signs like that, wow, there's something special about this guy. And believe in me, you will never die. Yes, it's outrageous. But if we take this story, we see that death obeyed the voice of Jesus. We see the authority and the power that he has. We see two types of death, physical death and spiritual death. And when Jesus is talking about this, I believe that um, we can try to make we can try to make sense of the two types of death. Let's look at, in, in John chapter 11. The, word, the verses, some of the verses that were read out. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Hang on a minute. You just said, you die and you live, but then you don't die. Now, what, what's, what's going on there? When Jesus was talking to people, he often took something physical and gave it a spiritual dimension that can only be spiritually discerned. In other words, the natural mind says, that's illogical. Two plus two equals five. It doesn't add up. The guy can't, it doesn't know what he's talking about. The logical mind, it doesn't seem to make sense. But with spiritual discernment, I believe... And spiritual discernment is so often needed. So often Jesus would make a point that was spiritual and the disciples would, 
think he's talking of a physical event. And he's actually talking of spiritual truth. And so what do we have here when Jesus says these somewhat seemingly contradictory words? I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, that's fantastic. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now you and I will die unless Jesus returns first. That's the one certainty in this life. And here I believe Jesus is addressing physical death. Where he says, uh, where he says the one who believes in me will live even though they die. So though we will die physically, we will live. That's the message that no other faith will give you. Not in the sense that we know it. That is the truth of the word of God. That your, your life cannot be snuffed out. Yes, your body will fall apart eventually. That happens to all of us. But you are not your body. Your body is like your house. You live in it. You, your soul, your spirit will live eternally. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And I believe here Jesus is talking about spiritual death. And spiritual death is permanent, total separation from God. You can call it hell if you like. The Bible does. Total separation from God. That is spiritual death. There is no life to that sort of existence. It is just life sucked out with all the goodness and all the presence of God sucked out of it. Terrible. And Jesus said, you will never die. When we believe in Jesus, we will never face that separation from God. We will never face that annihilation. We will never face hell because Jesus walked through hell for us and blasted out the other side and blew the gates off. And so we will never touch that death because Jesus took it for us. That is the message of Christianity. That Jesus took our death so that we will live. Now, the question, the crucial question, as Jesus said to the ladies there, do you believe this? Does it make sense? Well, it's difficult to get your head around the deaths and the lives, but does it make Yeah. Wow. All this stuff about signs of God's kingdom, about miracles, about raising the dead, is it for real? Some people will say, well, there are all sorts of stories that were concocted, fables and myths, quite, you know, well-meaning to try and illustrate the points that Jesus was trying to make and say, well, life with Jesus is good because he brings things to life and makes things better so people get healed. And this story grew up about Lazarus. It's not really real, you know, he didn't, we don't do miracles, but it's just to illustrate a point, and it's a myth, and it's a fable that's grown up over the years. Well, that's not how the Bible portrays it. And if you take that line, I believe, if the Bible is just fable and myth, let's just pack up and go home, because there's nothing in it. There is no power. It's just words, empty words, well-meaning but devoid of power. Here we see an account of somebody being raised from the dead. Do we believe it literally or not? And the Bible is very clear, the, the, the stories that we have in the Bible, and there's so much evidence that Jesus existed. Um, and I believe 
that the right way of looking at it is to say, if Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus come forth, he did, then that's because it happened. And if Jesus said, and if the Bible says rather, sorry, if the Bible says that Jesus was crucified, he was dead, and he's buried, and he rose on the third day, then let's believe that. Because if we don't believe in the resurrection, forget it. There is no life. So, either we believe this is true, or we don't. And it's essential verse to believe. So, bring this down to try and earth our experience. Um, Where did that come from? Slight technical hitch here. There we go. No. You know, I think I've altered my slides after I brought them, I I sent them to Bob. So there we are. (laughs) But we see here that Jesus is the man who shed tears for us, who died for us, but one who, who lived through death and who gives us life. So, bringing it back to this life, in this life we may suffer loss. All this stuff is all very well, highfalutin, heavenly stuff. What's it got to do with our day-to-day experience? Well, Mary and Martha had suffered a tragedy. They suffered a loss. They were bereaved. Some of us, many of us, have been bereaved. We will be if we haven't already been, probably. Some of us have been through difficult bereavement, tragedy, untimely death, sickness. Stuff happens in this life, and we suffer loss. And this passage, I believe, addresses our experience, because we see that Jesus has authority over life and death. There are no greater issues in this world than life and death. We may try to push it to one side, but we all have to face that in the end. And I'm not trying to be gloomy, I'm trying to bring hope, because as that little graphic says there, hope, hold on, pain ends one day. And when we shed tears, so does Jesus. You saw him when he went to Mary and Martha, he was moved with compassion. Yes, he is Lord. And sometimes we, we wish he would do a Lazarus in our situation. Oh, Lord, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you let this person get better? Why did you let that tragedy happen? Why, why, why? I don't understand. And there are many, many questions, the answers to which we do not have. I do not believe that Jesus, that God sits in heaven dishing out tragedy and loss and suffering. That is not the work of God. As it says somewhere in the Bible, an enemy has done this. Why doesn't God stop it? One day he will. That's not a totally satisfactory answer. I don't have a totally satisfactory answer to that question. There isn't one. At least if there is, please come and see me afterwards because I don't know it. We can never understand fully the mystery of suffering and illness, and sickness, and loss that we suffer. We can theologize it and say, well, it's because of the fall. Because Adam and Eve fell, man is fallen, creation is fallen, and things go wrong, the evil one got a foothold, and he brings about this stuff. That's about the closest we'll get. But I, because I think there is truth in all that. But it doesn't, hurt, it doesn't sort my pain out when I suffer loss. I don't need theology. I need to know that Jesus is there weeping with me. And he is. 
just as he was with, with Lazarus' sisters. He was there, weeping with them. He was moved. It says again, he was moved again. He was moved. He was deeply troubled. He was distressed. He was shedding tears for people who were suffering. He still does that. He does that today. One day, there will be an end to pain. And, you know, we can say, why doesn't he do this? One day he will. And that is true. Doesn't necessarily help us today when we're suffering in the immediate. But one day he will wipe away every pain. And so it says that in Revelation. I nearly said revolution. Well, that will be a revolution. When there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more sighing, no more crying, no more shedding tears. I think one of our granddaughters was talking about this. I'm not sure whether it was at school or or their church or what. And And the teacher said, there'll be no more tears. Please, miss, what about tears of joy? Ah, yes, good point. Tears of joy. One day it will be pure, unadulterated, unbridled, unrestrained joy to see the face of Jesus. The one whom we prayed to, we worshipped, we've read about, we've listened to, we've sung about. We will see him. We will see because he's alive, because he's been through death. We will see him. It might be in five years' time, it might be in ten, it might be in sixty, it might be in eighty years' time, but one day. There will be no more pain and you will see him and you will be like him because he is alive. He's been through death and out the other side and we will go through death, physical death, and out the other side. This is the glory of God to transform his people from death to life. So as I close, nearly time for the awakening. I just want to emphasize that verse, those verses, really. They're verses that are often read out at funerals, which is appropriate, but they're not just funeral verses. They give hope to those who are bereaved. But I believe they give hope to all of us, because here is Jesus not saying, I am a great teacher and I've got great philosophy and I want you to follow my example morally and be good people. Here is Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. It can be no greater than that. Now, if we get these words into our, the core of our being, we find, I believe, they're not just words on a page. It's not just theological truth. They are dynamic, they're powerful, they're energizing, they're inspiring and life-giving. They're radical, encouraging transforming words because if you ponder on that truth and look at your story of your life that addresses that addresses something it doesn't wipe away a sense of loss please don't think I'm saying oh if you're a Christian you believe that then you don't grieve I'm not saying that Mary and Martha were grieving rightly so but Jesus came there as the author of life and grieved with them, and wept with them, and was moved by them. And he is still that now. It transforms our experience now, and it gives us a hope, and that hope, I seem to remember some months ago, I preached on hope, so I don't want to go back and preach that sermon now, or you really will be asleep. Um, It brings hope. 
It brings hope which is founded on something strong and powerful and firm. Yesterday, wandering along around our, our front drive, by the way, we had about six inches, the ground was slippery and it was not solid and you could easily lose your footing. The sort of hope that we get as Christians is not like that. It's like when that snow has melted away and you're back down on the black stuff, the tarmac, which is not going to shift. I know tarmac cracks and shift. All right. Granite rock. Something that's not going to move. That is our hope. That hope is not going to move because it's already established. And it's established because Jesus said that and then he went through it. He went through death. He rose again. And he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I have been resurrected from the dead. I live forever. You will live forever. That is our hope. No other faith can give you that hope. That is truth. It is not myth. And it's something that we can embrace and rejoice in and live in and experience and know that when we get the knocks that we get in this life, when things go wrong, then, okay, that is painful, but there is a greater reality, and that reality is life. That reality is Jesus. That reality is eternity, and that is what we have as Christians. And is it, if you have never experienced that, if you have never given your life to Jesus, um, I encourage you to do so, because that is not make-believe, it's not pie in the sky, it's historic, based on historical fact historical truth and it is life giving and Jesus wants to give you life that will never end let's pray together Father thank you for the truth that we have in your word thank you Father that when we see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead we have confidence that that's exactly what happened thank you Lord Jesus that when you said I am the resurrection and the life We want to say, yes, Lord, we do believe that. We believe that you are the one who came to die for us, that you have died our death, you've been through death for us, so that whilst we might die physically, that is just a doorway and a gateway into life. So this morning we want to rejoice in that truth. We rejoice in who you are. We rejoice in what you have done. Lord, we all go through different trials in this life, but thank you that there is one who is alongside who is moved when we are moved, who is weeping when we are weeping. Lord, one who is not far away from us, but one who comes to us and is with us. Thank you, Lord, that this just shows us a greater truth, a greater reality than the pain that we suffer. One day, Lord, everything will change, and we look forward to that. Meanwhile, we thank you, Lord, that you are with us. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your presence. Lord, fill our hearts with your joy. Fill our hearts with your hope that we might live in the light of your goodness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Mike. Thank you, Derek.